Hey folks, welcome to Valley Naval Gazing, which is heard on WNHH 103.5 FM in the city of New Haven. And it's heard on valleyindy.org, newhavenindependent.org, Libsyn, YouTube, Facebook, we even put this podcast. Wherever the internet connection is, Valley Naval Gazing is there. I'm joined with my co-host, healthy living reporter, Ethan Fry. What's going on? Not much. And today we have a special guest. He really needs no introduction, mm. so I'm not even going to go through the long introduction because he's he's basically Mr. Valley, mm. Jack Walsh, infamous or famous? Famous, famous, famous. Honest, yeah, well deserved. <laughs> Definitely famous. I think there, there's all you're coming up. Your name is on these agendas all over <laughs> the Lower Naugatuck that Valley. That may not be a good thing. <laughs> there's Jack Walsh Day. There's Jack. There's like Jack Walsh Day in every town in the valley. I did have that. Yes, I, I did have a, a day in every town. That was pretty cool. <laughs> and then you're, there, there's talk about naming things after you. I don't even know if you're no, aware of this. No, see, no, there's things. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I can skip that. <laughs> But uh, Jack, born and raised in Derby, recently retired from uh, the Valley United Way after, you were there since what, 89? How many years were you at the... Almost 28 years. Wow. Just short of it. And then what was, why now? Why did you decide to, uh, but you're not really retired though, because then from then you're on the, now you're on the WPCA, you have all these volunteer positions, which are probably more stressful than the work you were doing for the Valley United Way. Uh, there are some interesting ones. Uh, you know, one of these days we should talk about WPCA. Uh, yeah, that's you know, a, that could be an, an hour podcast just of just on that. I will right. tell you we're making yeah. real progress, though. Stuff's going on. It's, it's starting to happen. We met all the deadlines uh, for all the federal and state orders, so stay tuned. Got a long way to go, but it's going. And there's start. always the, the looming question of whether... Ansonian Derby will combine in some way on on that issue, but you know, as I said, that that could be another, yeah, that a ninety minute discussion. Yeah, that, that's the, at least eighteen months away yeah, by yeah, itself yeah. because of a uh, study that yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing. They got a grant yeah. to do a study. Yeah. All right, yeah, that, it kind of takes the uh, the research out of the local level and gives it to uh, the state level. But uh, anyway, we're talking about Derby WPCA. <laughs> we might have lost uh, some listeners yes. two minutes in. But don't worry, you can still flush your toilet in Derby safely. I can attest to that. Mm. Everything's, it's all still, uh, it's uh, still all working. working. So let's go back. Because I started to ask you about the Valley United Way. But let's talk about uh, growing up in Derby. Uh, where, what part of Derby did you grow up in? Same place I live now. 8th Street. 8th Street, okay. No, close by you. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm on Hawthorne Avenue yeah. uh, down the road there. But so what was it like uh, growing up in that part of Derby uh, back then? It, it was a great time and a great place. Um, for example, uh, I don't know that we ever had a key to our house. I can't ever remember the doors being locked, ever. Um, but, you know, it could walk to school, could walk to everything. Um mm. You, you always felt safe in Derby. It was a great time, great place. Uh, what school did you walk to? Which I one? walked to St. Mary's originally. Okay. Then I walked to Derby High School. Uh, and I ended up years later teaching at both of those places. Uh, I could walk to two libraries. How many people can say they could walk to two public libraries mm. within 10 minutes of their house? Yeah, which was your preferred library? Let's get controversial <laughs> right off the... Well, I mean, it, Derby it, Neck yeah. was the closer of the two, right? Or I guess, well, no, no not really. No, you, no, Derby Public was the closer. Because there's the big hill. There's yeah. the big hill between Hawthorne and uh, Hawthorne Avenue and then where, you're for, where you but, live. You know, I have to tell you here right now, I, I'm president of the board at Derby 
neck library so obviously you know oh, where my heart God. is there but, you know as a kid there, there was an advantage to derby neck um and it still holds true derby neck was the only library in the valley that was open on sunday okay so if you were a procrastinator like i was sunday nights when those book reports or any kind of report was due on monday Derby Neck Library was the savior, so always had a soft spot for Was that. it packed with kids on a Sunday? Or? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was interesting. Uh, it was open on Thursdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. It's the only part-time library. Hmm. It started out as a library just for the war, that ward of the city of, of Derby, but you know, the city does not finance Derby Neck Library. Uh, I think we get a token $500 a year, and I think it's been $500 probably for... Ever, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. forever. Derby Neck is actually a little bit older than Derby Public Library. I did not know that. Yes, mm. yes, uh, it's second oldest library in the valley. Mm. Plum is the oldest. Mm. Why? Well, no, and then the, the librarian there, the head librarian, or the, or the director, I guess it would be. Uh, Ian Parcell yeah. is really. I had a long talk with him uh, in in the, at the Valley United Way. Okay, a couple of months back. Oh, for the leadership program. Yeah, yeah, yep. and all the things he's doing there. Yep. Uh, he's pretty good. Yeah, I, I had uh, went to a, uh, I'm forgetting her name, but... Uh, Sweeney, I think it was the a... The reference library. Pat Sweeney, yeah, 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 Sweeney, yeah. She did a thing about the... Uh, history. Labor history. Yeah. Uh, labor Day program about, like, different strikes and stuff throughout the years, and, that, like, that was just fascinating to me. Yeah, the women's um, women's strikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Sam Gompers coming yeah, yeah. speaking and at it, the Sterling Opera like, House. Back in, like, the late 1800s in yeah. the Valley was, like... You know, I was going to say it was like the Molly Maguires. It wasn't that that <laughs> no, bad, but it was like bad. it was it was there were oh, there yeah. were like you know people tension. being you know, brick bats beating yeah. and stuff like you know it was a lot of a uh, lot of hard nosed stuff going on. Well, you have to look at the, the environment back then. Mm-hmm. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of people were working in the factories. I mean, really, it wasn't it was not an easy life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. unions gave them a, a glimmer of hope. And but, then this time of year, I mean, as we record, well, this will probably uh, post. Uh, just after the new year, but we were recording this before Christmas. Um, so what were some of your Christmas memories growing up in, in Derby? What were some traditions or things that you would do as a kid every year around Christmas? Oh, you know, one of the nice things about Derby and all, all the towns were the, uh, the lights that they would put up, uh, the merchants in each of the towns, and you'd drive around and see them. Uh, that, that was, that was kind of special. The uh, you know, right now Derby does the same thing with uh, the Christmas tree on the green and the lighting there. But back then it was uh, all the main streets. Hmm. So you drive through. Uh, but it was kind of like uh, the movie uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. <clears throat> That's what it reminded me of. Yeah. And then like Pickett's Pond uh, at Osborndale, was that was that like the main? Because I know uh, every year uh, Ron Sill, the second ward alderman in Derby, yeah will let us know if the pond is frozen, frozen. over. Yeah. And he has some frustration because it, I, I, because of the state, I guess, doesn't, it's not as uh, widely publicized as it used right. to be. It sounds like it maybe was a community center sort of thing yeah. that was a gathering spot. Was that like that when you were there young? There was, uh, Pickett's Pond was on that side of the, this town, and there was another one on the other side of town, a skating pond where uh, Starbucks is now. Charlie, I think it was called Charlie's Pond, but there was ice skating there right down below Right off 34 there? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. So there was uh, ice skating there as well. Did you have to worry about a car coming over the, uh, the ridge? No, there was no traffic back then. No. <laughs> no, no traffic back then. I mean, you could go to New Haven in 10 minutes. There were no lights or anything else. Uh, wow. You know, another thing that we did as kids, uh, they would block off the streets when it snowed. 
Mm. Okay, so you could, uh, you know, go uh, take a any kind of a sled down the street. And uh, on our street, 8th Street, you could come down the street, turn the corner, and go all the way down to Smith Street, down to 7th Street. But we had uh, rather large sleds. They were called double rippers. I don't know if you ever heard of a double ripper. Mm-mm. Okay, a double ripper was a, a big sled, kind of like a, a toboggan, um, but it had a steering wheel in the front. Actually, we had two in my family. One had a steering wheel, another one you could steer with, with your feet. Um, so snow days were were special. I mean, today they don't block any streets off. Yeah, right. You've right, got to right. find your own place, but we were right on the streets. To do it now, like, because Mountain Avenue is right there, right? Or Mountain Street is what? what is that one? Uh that's farther right behind, up, yeah. Did you ever go down that thing? Because that, that thing is like a vertical no, drop. No, it was pretty much it was a neighborhood by neighborhood. So we had 8th Street and 7th Street. And yeah. that was that? Something like that. Ethan. No, that, those were individual sleds, oh, which okay. you're showing there. That's, yeah. It's like a rosebud type yeah. looking. Uh, no, the, uh, these were yeah. big. You could get eight people sitting up on oh, okay. them. Okay. Okay. And they actually had uh, running boards on the side for your feet. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the, the person who actually oh, steered yeah. it had to be uh, pretty strong. Ethan is now showing Jack pictures on a podcast. Which yeah, is we'll pull, pull like we'll, that. We'll embed some we'll, in there. like that without yeah. wheels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, what about uh, a brother? I know you at least have one brother. Brother, sisters growing up. How big was your family? Well, I, I've got an older brother and an older sister, and then of course I have an identical twin brother. So you so never know if you're seeing me or, or yeah, not. We've, we've done that a hundred times. Yeah, because he's right he's, across he's right the street. Next yeah, yeah. Door, especially <laughs> when we first launched. Hey, mm-hmm. and he would just kind of look at us like. <laughs> but he, he must get that all the time because he would always wave back. Except to Ethan, he would just not just ignore. Constantly, I, I've given out plenty of uh, free legal advice. It's not <laughs> much good, but it's cheaper than my brother. <laughs> now, uh, what did your what did your dad do for a living? Uh, for a living, he owned a gas station uh, down by the, the Derby Green, but really what he enjoyed was uh, he was a pilot. He taught an awful lot of people in the Valley to fly. Hmm. He was really ahead of his time. Uh, during World War II, he was a civilian air instructor for the Army Air Corps. It wasn't the Air Force back then. It was the Army Air Corps. He went out to uh, Thunderbird Field in Arizona, and they would bring in pilots from China and other spots, and he would train them to be fighter pilots. Hmm. And then uh, I guess some, some equivalent of this, he was also into ham radio, very big into ham radio, and he was uh, civilian defense uh, coordinator for all the the okay. radio service back then. So, you know, what he did for a living wasn't really what he enjoyed doing. Did not his passion. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he probably missed the, the opportunity to be a, a commercial pilot because that's probably what he would have done if he had his choice. And where did he fly out of when he was teaching people how to fly here? Where do you, where do you work out of? Well, believe it or not, there were a lot of airports around here, mm. okay, including uh, a grass airfield in Ansonia. Yeah, I, I, the hilltop. During, when we do like This Week in History, I, I look, uh, I go to like Derby Historical website for that. And like there's a, you see references to that every once in a while. Oh, I, I flew out of there as a kid. My father used to take us every Sunday. Hmm. You know, he'd do his classes and teach people and then take us up for a flight. All kinds of planes, including those double wing planes. Um, they also had an airport in the middle of the Houstonic River in Shelton. Most people don't know that one. Okay, it was called the Island Airport. My father and a bunch of other people had uh, had this airport, and of course, they got flooded out. 
That was the end of that. And that was the end of it, okay. But there were other uh, grass strip fields in Bethany, Monroe. Uh, in fact, I think Eastern Airlines, the old Eastern Airlines, I think started in either Bethany or, or Monroe. Hmm. So, you know, it was a, it was a different era. Uh, you know, these were people who flew by the seat of their pants. Would you go up a lot uh, with them in the in the planes? or uh, On Sunday, we'd go for rides. But, you know, I, I never had... Uh, an interest in learning to fly. My older brother learned to fly and got a license. My brother-in-law did. Uh, unfortunately, his son, John Murphy, was killed in, a, in an accident. He was a commercial pilot. Mm. Um, but I, I you know, I kind of like to keep my feet on the ground. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I'm not good with boats either. <laughs> no, so, but yeah, but you were, the, you were the director of the recreation camp for, for years. Oh, yeah, that, that, that was different, though. That, you know, no power boats. Uh, I would teach windsurfing there, so that was uh, oh, there fantastic. You go. A, little, a little easier. And the rec was a great place, still is a great place. Uh, is it, you went to St. Mary or St. Michael's. No, I went Saint, to St. Mary's. Okay, sorry. Uh, what are some of your memories of any particular? W- w- were nuns teaching there at that point, or was yeah, well, pretty much all nuns back th- back okay. then. Okay, you yeah, know, it, it was a great place. Was uh, it tough? Because I, you know, my, both my parents went to Catholic schools in New York City, and they have some stories that they yeah, the, the, nun, the nuns could be pretty tough, but uh, not as tough as people say. I mean, we all survived. No, no one uh, <laughs> they, they didn't ruin anyone that I know, uh, and they, they were really good people. The priests were fantastic. We probably had more kids back then going to the uh, Catholic schools in Derby than the public schools. My graduating class at St. Mary's School, we had two of each class. We had 80 kids mm-hmm. in the graduating class. Okay, I don't think there were 80 kids at St. Uh, at Irving School. And then, of course, you had St. Michael's, which was smaller than St. Mary's. But uh, times have certainly changed when it comes to that. Right, although St. Mary's, St. Michael, well, now it's St. Mary's, St. Michael's. Right. They had, we were just talking before we went on, they've had a resurgence over the last couple of years mm-hmm. where it was almost closing, and now they seem to be doing yeah, really well again. Yeah, very close. Art Gherkin's kind of led the, the charge there, and uh, they've done a great job keeping that to going. And then where'd you go to high school? I went to Derby High School. To Derby High School, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I could have gone to the Catholic school, but... Uh, I, I kind of liked Derby, and you know, it was a small school. Was it tough, like making that transition from going to the Catholic school to the public high school, just in terms of the kids you were with, or did you no, know not, everybody? Not really, because you know them all. You know already. Them all anyway. Derby's a small town, um, and, and Derby High School was uh, a special place back then. You know, Jamie Cohen was a classmate of mine. You know, oh Jamie really? I didn't know that. Okay, we were in the same class together, um, and it wasn't a big school. You know, even though uh, it was growing at that point in time, uh, our class had about 140 in it, hmm. which is the biggest class in Derby High School history to that point. And wow. What I year think, did you graduate? I don't mean to interrupt, but when did you graduate? I got out in 64. Okay. And, you know, that trend continued. I think they got close to 180, 190 at one point, and now, you know, they bottomed out a few years ago at under 70. Mm. But we were in an old building. Which you know, I had the great pleasure years later, the the city ended up owning that building. And this is what's the? It's, it's the Lincoln the Senior Lincoln, Housing okay. now. Okay, okay that gotcha. was Derby High School. And that's on uh, Minerva. Minerva. Street. I always get my Minerva and yeah. Olivia confused. And it, it, it got so crowded that um, my sophomore year we went on double sessions, so the freshmen used to have to come to school in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. The rest of us went in the, in, in the morning. Uh, so it was a small school, not much of a play area, you know, uh, 
but everybody knew everybody else, and you knew all the teachers. Most of the teachers lived locally. You know, it was a warm, friendly place. Um, years later, they, they moved to the, the new high school, which they really needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I was fortunate years later, uh, I ended up being on the board of directors when the school was converted into senior housing. And it was funny being on the committee because I was the only one that actually went to school there and <laughs> also taught there. And one of the great stories there, uh, Mrs. Dempsey, who was uh, one of the school nurses when I was there, ended up living there for years. Her, her uh, apartment was right above where her office was when oh, I went no to school kidding. there. Yeah. But it was a great to see that building saved and put back into use. And you know, now it's 33 apartments for seniors. So great thing for the city. And it, did you, were you an athlete when you were at the high school? Like what are your, what are your fondest memories of, uh, of, the, of the high school years? No, I, I really wasn't an athlete. Uh, well, I liked to play, but I was about 5'6 and weighed all of 100 pounds dripping wet. For basketball or something? You want, yeah, I, was, you know, I just wasn't good enough. That's what it comes down to. Uh, but years later, you know, I stayed at it. Um, I always loved playing. Um, and ended up being a high school basketball coach years later mm. at Shelton High School. So, so that must have been tough. But uh, where'd you go then? Where'd you go to college? What did you do immediately after Derby High School? I went to UConn, uh, which was another great place back then. It still is. Mm. Um, you know, again, I was lucky to come along at the right time. College was affordable back then. Hmm. Yeah, you didn't leave with a hundred thousand dollars yeah. in debt. Yeah. Public um, school, yeah. Yeah, and then I went right into teaching after that. And did you know you wanted to be a teacher when you were at oh, UConn? Yeah. Was that something that was always in your? Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. In fact, when I was in high school, I was in the future teachers club, so I guess kind of knew it back then. And wh- who were the teachers at the high school that had an influence on you? Um, Anybody in particular? Yeah, or? Mr. De Francisco, Mr. Vitello, Mr. D'Ambroso. Yeah, they, they were a good group of people. Mr. Palmucci, whose daughter years later ended up working for me at the recreation camp. Yeah, and they all lived here. Hmm. They all lived here. Um, they were involved, you know, as coaches at, at the school. They were great teachers. They were really friends to the kids. Everybody knew everybody. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a nice place to be. And then so then after UConn, uh, four years at UConn, you get a... Yeah, I was one of those uh, who made it in four years, you know. Uh, uh, not me. <laughs> no. Well, you know, the yeah. famous story, and I think they yeah, do like it in every college. The, you so know, the first day with the assembly when they have all the students there, and uh, the provost or somebody gets up and says, take a look to the left, take a look to the right. Yeah, yeah, They yeah. won't be there when you graduate. And that's, that's probably true, but it doesn't mean they don't graduate. It just uh, takes longer than four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was lucky. I got through in four years. Did so. you work in college, too? Did you work on the side or anything like oh, yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Uh, I worked at Duchess. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Worked at the original Duchess down here. In fact, we just had our 50th reunion. I would work uh, all summer. Wait a uh, second. You on had Pershing your... Drive? That, Pershing Drive. That's been there for, since? for Just had, uh, not this past year, the year before, wow. celebrated the 50th wow. anniversary. I would not have guessed that. Wow. Yeah. and uh, 50th anniversary of the restaurant? Or? Yes. Okay. I would not have predicted that. Yeah. It, originally, it was kind of a knockoff of McDonald's. Mm-hmm. It was, in fact, it was pretty much exactly the same as McDonald's, except that Duchess had great hot dogs, and they had uh, fish on, on Friday. Uh, Bernie Lavin was the, the manager, who had been a former teacher himself, and uh, 
we had a whole crew of all, all guys from from mm. Derby who you know went to school together. We all knew each other. We went to work together at Duchess. Uh, and apparently, like, to this day, there's people who go there for breakfast like every day. Oh I think yeah, Jody would our former reporter Jody Gill. Uh, she's a professor now, but she would stop there occasionally, and like she would say that there's like there's yeah, definitely well, not, like a on our on the Valley Sports Rewind podcast oh, okay. that we do with Mike yeah. Kenichi. Do you still are you still part of the crew that hangs out there every day? Or I, I, I've never I've been working. I couldn't go. <laughs> right, but maybe right. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you will. Yeah, maybe exactly. now. <laughs> right, have you made an appearance yet? <laughs> not not yet. I talked to John DeFrancisco, who was a good friend, uh, and he goes occasionally. Because that's one uh, of the things that Kenichi says when we, he was talking about this his podcast he yeah. wanted to do on Valley yeah. Valley Indie. He's like, I, I just want that what they do at Duchess every day. I want to yeah. transfer that into mm. a podcast somehow. So yeah, it's like legendary. So. Yeah, a lot of great memories. You know, a lot of a lot of good people. I, I, I've been very fortunate. And where'd you get your first teaching gig? Did you get it like Michael right, School, right out of college? Right out like of some, college, uh, I taught. So like twenty four years old or so, twenty five, twenty one, twenty one. Okay, oh wow, twenty one. Right, so. You know, that was the old plan: eight, four, and four, and then you go to work. And that was it. Okay. Yeah, and I, of course, I worked even in, a, in high school, but I, I taught at St. Michael's. Uh, taught there for six years, and that, that's how I ended up getting into coaching. Um, the nuns there were very serious about winning, very mm. serious about winning. Uh, well, how but, would they? How would that? How would they express that? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example uh, that <laughs> funny. Later on, came into play when uh, I left. Uh, there was a nun there. Her name was Sister Mercedes, and she's the one who got me to coach. Sister and, Mercedes. Mercedes. She was a great woman. Uh, but and during my first year there, there was a guy who was coaching, and he. He, uh, his job switched. He wasn't a teacher. So she said, well, Mr. Walsh, you have to take over coaching. She, she knew I played basketball, but, you know, playing and coaching aren't the same. Mm. So so I, I did it, and after the first day, I said, oh, this was a big mistake. Playing coaching are two different things. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to learn to do it right. Because what, 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 why did it feel like a mistake? What did, uh... Well, you know, you can, you can be a, a player. You can be a great player. It's not the same as teaching it. Okay, coaching is not the same as playing. Okay, a lot of great players don't make good coaches. In fact, okay. they say, or some say, that it's like it's a detriment because if you're if you're really good at it, just naturally yeah. it's harder yeah. for you it's to impart to, to somebody understand. else. Yeah, that's what I something. feel about reporting. Yeah, I'm kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> but you know, the same. I was but a great play, so I, I started doing it. I ask because, like, I, I've uh, tr- attempted to coach my son's kindergarten soccer team, and. Uh, you know, you split the kids up into two groups, and then I forget who's on what. It just became a most embarrassing, traumatic thing. All the parents are sitting there watching, and I don't know who's on what team. And was it like that for you that first day? And you knew that? Yeah. St. Michael's gave me the chance to learn to do it the right way. Uh, no one interfering. But the, the nuns did like to win. I remember, uh, I don't know if it was my second or third year, and we were struggling a little bit. And I remember Sister Mercedes coming down and saying, yeah, Mr. Walsh, Mr. Walsh, come on out here. We walked the hall. Now, St. Michael's only had one of each grade. She said, isn't there anybody there that could play? <laughs> I, I say, sister, those are sixth graders. They can't play with the uh, And then the last year I was there, we had a, a very good team, a very good team. And she came in one day. She said, uh, Mr. Walsh, we're, we're going to New York to play. I said, what? She says, yeah, you know, we have uh, another group of nuns down in New York, and they think they're pretty good. Uh, I think we can go and beat them. Were they, were they betting on these games by <laughs> no. chance? They... It was kind of funny, and I, I said to her, sister, you know, 
I don't want to go to New York. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going. I wonder if it was like a different order. Of, uh, oh, no, it's the same order. Oh, okay. It was the same order. And that's uh, the sister holy family of Nazareth who had okay. their home up in Monroe. Great, great people. But uh, so she wanted to go. She said, oh, well, we're going. I said, okay, we'll do it during vacation. Oh, no, no, we're going to do it when we come back from vacation. So we're, we were going to take a day off from school to go to New York to play basketball. Okay? I said, well... <laughs> You're the boss. I said, but you know, I don't even like the color yellow, never mind getting on the, the bus. But she got the bus, took all the eighth graders, mm -hmm. the parents, and we went to New York. And luckily, we won the game. I probably would have been fired over the end of my mm -hmm. career. They would have left you down there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's how I got into coaching. And then, uh, what was it about coaching that you liked? Well, I always liked the sports. And, you know, coaching, you get to see kids improve. Uh, it's it's the same as teaching, except the, in coaching, you get to see it every single day, and you have more control over it than you mm. do in a classroom. Um, and fortunately, you know, we had some good teams. I don't know if I would have liked it as much if we didn't win, uh, but we had won, and then uh, Rich Marazzi called me, uh, and you know Rich, you talked mm -hmm. to him. Uh, Rich was the, the head coach at Evan O'Brien, and uh, he asked me if I would take a job as a JV coach. So I did, and uh, you know I really enjoyed that too. And Rich, Rich was a great coach, great coach. Uh, his first love is baseball, but he was a great basketball coach. Hmm. And that year we had a kid that was six ten. Hmm. His name was Paul Ziner. Uh, went on to play at UB, and we had a very good year. And you know I, I left the next year because I went to teach at St. St. Mary's, so I didn't coach that year. Um, then I was a freshman coach at Derby. Uh, then I was a sophomore coach at Shelton. Then I went back to Derby for a year. Well, actually, I was a JV coach at Derby with George Danner first. Then I was a freshman coach. And then I was the head coach at Shelton for 10 years. For 10 years. And what years were you the head coach in, uh, in Shelton? Uh, 79 to 89. 79 to 89. So then did you coach Mark Loretti or no? Was he, no, uh, he... no, Mark was already out. Okay, so he's, he's older. I mean, he's, uh, he's older than he looks. That guy. We were, we were remarking, like, you know, Ethan ran. Still runs faster in, than I can. In the Commodore Hull race. And it seems that everyone that runs that race, or at least people that we've talked to, they measure themselves against how they did against Loretti. They mm. do. And everybody does they worse, really right? Do. They really do. <laughs> well, he was a great athlete. You know, he was a good player in, in high school. Uh, he went to Eastern Connecticut, and then he went to Ohio U, and then he went overseas and played. And then he was a graduate assistant coach at Syracuse. And then he played a, a coach at Bridgeport Central. Um, in fact, uh, I scheduled them. We played against them. Hmm. Um, I, I played a lot of basketball against Mark uh, later on. And uh, actually, we played a, against each other a few times in the Senior Olympics. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Now, what is his temperament on the court? Like, because you're very, you're, I mean, I don't, I've never seen you play basketball or coach, but you're very laid back. Uh, it's a little different than what I'm playing. <laughs> get the. Jerry Tarkanian towel. No, or? no, no. Uh, I, I I enjoyed coaching, uh, but Mark Mark's a good player, right? He, got, yeah, yeah. he likes to shoot, <laughs> but he. he so you you're know, saying a he's, a, he's a ball hog, is what you're saying? No, I didn't say that. I said hog. he likes to shoot, but if you put it in, that's there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, he we played against him twice in the Senior Olympics, and both times he was the best player on his team. Hmm. He, he was always a good player, always a good coach too. Did his team go on to win those senior Olympic games, or did you end up your team end up winning? Well, 
this is the radio, so I'm not going to answer the question, but you can tell from my face. Yeah, right. There's a twinkle in your eye. The Irish eyes are smiling. So, so where, I, see, I thought you taught in Derby for a long time, but no, no, no I'm no, totally I was, wrong. Uh, it was interim in, in, in Derby. I taught at the the Derby Middle School. Okay. For a while, but uh, you know, unfortunately, in Derby, I laid off three times because I didn't have seniority. Oh, okay. So that was the tough part because I yeah. was trying to think like, what are they political or it was just it no, was, it was a, budget struggles. Political. Yeah, Derby was. The, on the way down in terms of enrollment back then. Uh, so I got caught in the numbers game because I'd come over from Catholic school, so I had no seniority. So hmm. that happened to me three times. Um, and then I ended up in Shelton. Oh, no kidding. So how do you... That's tough because, I mean, we're journalists, but I've, I've somehow managed for 15 years to uh, avoid a layoff, although we'll see what happens in 2019. <laughs> but uh, how did you deal with that, with that constant changing? I mean, because, you know, you think teaching, that's a career that's going to be steady. They always need teachers. Well, they, but... you know, yeah, they always used to say, you know, if you go into teaching, you'll never make a lot of money, but you'll always have a job. Mm. Well, <laughs> that wasn't true. That wasn't true. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you deal with it when it happens. You know, uh, I was fortunate. Each time I landed on my feet, did things that I like to do, and... Uh, you know, my 10 years in, in Shelton, I didn't teach the whole time. I only taught in Shelton for uh, six of the of the 10 years. Um, but I, I love Shelton. Shelton was fantastic. I had great kids. You know, even if they weren't the best basketball players, they were great kids. Um, and we had some good teams. Now, what years are we talking about there, roughly? What, what year? 79 to 89. You just said that. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the—I uh, the, mean, because the Derby-Shelton football— Rivalry, uh, you, you're sort of a historian, not sort of. You are a historian, a local historian. Maybe people maybe. think so, but <laughs> I don't know. If that's true. Well, you, you created. I mean, the Electronic Valley is an incredible resource mm. for everything uh, Derby, including the Derby Shelton football game. You've kept that alive, uh, you know, in a in a form where anybody can see it at any time. What was the, the the rivalry like in those years when you were at Shelton, and who did, were you secretly rooting for Derby the whole time? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I couldn't win in that situation because uh, Shelton, I was a, a carpetbagger, yeah, yeah. and Derby, I was a trader. So on Thanksgiving Day, I'd always stand in the end zone, <laughs> right at, right at the goalpost, uh, and I could win either way because you realize my mother was a graduate of Shelton High School, and my father was a graduate of Derby High School. So I, you know, I could always move whichever way. I needed to move, but you know, you it, it was right. a good rivalry back then. You know, in football, Derby went through a period where Derby was the dominant team in the valley, and you know, as their enrollment started to drop, it, it's not the same today. Shelton is, uh, you know, uh, let's be honest, Shelton year in and year out is one of the ten best high school football programs in the state, mm. and so is Ansoni. Mm. So uh, they've gone in one direction. Unfortunately, Derby it was just a numbers game; it's not working for them, but. You know, keep in mind, I was a basketball coach, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> the and football the, coach. Right, 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 uh, right. You know, I got, the football stuff you're talking about, the history, was because I was the MC for the uh, Rotary football luncheon. Okay. So that's what got me into doing some of that and uh, some of the incredible stories of that rivalry. Uh, mm. I remember one, one year George Quadretti came. And he was the guest speaker, and he was talking about the book that he had written. And, the Legends of Lafayette. Yeah, and that next year was going to be the 100th anniversary of the Derby Shelton game. And after the thing I got him to say, I said, George, uh, it's not the 100th anniversary. 
said, what? <laughs> and then I had to recount. If you go to the, the, that website, you I see that. the, the yeah. story yeah. of uh, what games counted and what games didn't count. Uh, but, the, you know, it, it was a different kind of rivalry. Um, the Ansonia Derby rivalry was a nasty rivalry. Always was. Mm. You know, in fact, one of my favorite stories of all time, and it's one of the Derby history quizzes, is the story of the 1937 Derby team. Uh, and they played against Sony to a tie that year. But someday when you've got a few minutes, go back and read the story. It's an incredible story. It this is on the Electronic the Valley. Yeah, yeah. it's one of the Derby history quizzes. Uh, Sony was a powerhouse. Derby was a powerhouse. Uh, but the stuff that went on outside the game mm. between people in the two towns, you know, the, the principals of the schools writing nasty things on the front page of the Sentinel. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, yeah, where like we, I see it like occasionally looking through like old, like this week in history, it's like they stole the goalposts and marched it back and stuff. Oh, but, like, this, it, this is worse than that. The, the, you have to go and read the story yeah, of the yeah. 30s. And to this day, like there, a couple of years ago, there was like someone hung a nasty sign off like one of the bridges on the Oh, no, they, they like, always just said that. It was a dummy. Yeah. That was a dummy. So on the way to uh, yeah, yeah. Ryan Field, you would see the dummy. But, uh, you know, the Shelton Derby game was a big rivalry, drew great, great crowds, but it was more of a friendly thing. You know, they, they would actually have... And that, that event, they still have that every year. You mentioned like, at the... Uh, the, um, the lunch and the dinner. Yeah, the, uh, lunch, I'm forgetting that it's on Howe Avenue. It's the yeah, Russian the Russian club. club. Uh, they have, like, they, you know, both teams and sets of cheerleaders and coaches get together and have a nice luncheon the, the day before, I think. It's right? a Tuesday before. Tuesday, two days before, two days before. the Thanksgiving yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a great event. Like but, you know, back then, they, you know, after the game, uh, that night, there'd be a victory dance. Wow. For the two schools. Wow. You know, I could never imagine it happening in Sony and Derby. Mm. Uh, but for Shelton and so, Derby, it, it did happen. Why was that rivalry so bitter, the Ansonia Derby one, compared to Derby Shelton? Yeah, hmm. I, I really don't know what started the origin, but, uh, you know, probably because uh, Ansonia split off from Derby. I mean, mm. Ansonia was part of Derby. Yeah, so yeah. I guess it rubbed people the wrong way when they, when they left. You know, we had in part of that uh, the Mike Kenichi Valley Sports Rewind. One of the themes we'll hear from the, the guys he has on about that rivalry, how in the factories, the bets that would exchange, mm. how, oh, you know, yeah. come Monday or Saturday, whatever, you'd go back to work and people would be cleaning up. But yeah, uh, there, there was a lot of gambling on it. Uh, the Thanksgiving Day game, there was some too, but yeah. You know, I, I wonder Day if, game, if, if like, there were more guys like working in like factories with each other. You know, like that. Oh, that guy I hate that guy at work, and he's it like could he's get a real Shelton, personal. or he's a, a Derby guy. You know, like I don't know. Maybe there's. Well, more I was there. seeing picture. Uh, actually, the, um, the copies of the the booklet that would be printed in the factory, in Shelton, mm. uh, for the Thanksgiving Day game, they would have this booklet that showed all the kids who were sons of people who worked in the factory. Okay, yeah. You know, so it it was a big deal. They they give awards for. Uh, the first player to score a touchdown, mm. uh, you'd get a turkey. Uh, there was a clothes store downtown that would give gloves or something you know, for different things. And then uh, later on, it became the Silver Turkey Award. Okay. So you, which is still given out every every year. So, uh, oh, you know, it, it was just a different type of rivalry. Still an important rivalry. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, right now, I mean, they're in two different leagues mm. in, in a lot of different ways. Mm. So. So then, so that was uh, kind of the we're talking about sports and your and your background there. If we now, you when did you when were you hired at the uh, United Way? 
and how did that come about? Well, it's actually tied to the sports, too, because uh, if you go back a little bit uh, from the sports, I was hired to run the recreation camp in Derby. That's which on ha- Roosevelt Drive. Right over, okay. Just celebrated a 100-year anniversary. anniversary, which is amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, And it was a great play. I learned to swim there as a kid, as most, most kids in the Valley did, uh, and ended up running it for 15 years. But we were funded by the United Way. So I actually ended up doing a lot of speaking for United Way. Uh, during the fall because the rec camp story was one of the best stories they had mm. so when you're out trying to raise money it's just a great story to tell uh so and i liked you know, anyway they you know they were good to us um uh, and you're talking that, that story you mentioned it on a, on a we, we if people go back and look at our the podcast the, the 100th anniversary dinner? yeah where they were locked in a room and yeah, basically yeah. said yeah, that's all we're gonna that. fund this uh-huh. thing yeah. Or no one's leaving the room. That's what they did before United Way came yeah, yeah. along. Right. Then okay. United Way started funding. They still had the dinner and they still raise a, a lot of money. Uh, now they're a little bit more self-sufficient. Of course, it's more costly than it was back then. But mm. it's still an incredible place. But that's that's how I kind of got involved with United Way. Um, when the job opened at United Way, I didn't apply for it. I wasn't interested in it. You know, and was this the, 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 like the CEO job right away? Or the president's job? It, it was the president's job. Um you know, I, I was teaching, I was coaching, and I was running the recreation camp. Three jobs that I loved. How many people have one job that they love? Mm. I had three that I loved. The only thing I didn't like was getting laid off. Hmm. Okay? <laughs> I didn't answer, have yeah, seniority. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I didn't apply for the job, and what happened was um, they did this big national search to reunite away, and at the end of it, over a year, um, they didn't have a candidate. They didn't hire anyone, so they decided to go back to the community and see if there were any other people from the community who they thought should have applied who didn't apply. So I happened to be one of them. There were a couple of others, and one thing led to another, and then I had the job. I'll give you a funny part of it. The the final interview for the job was uh, early December. Uh, We had a game that night, okay, and... uh, the interview was at nine o'clock in the morning. I had school that day. Hmm. I actually went to the interview during my prep period. Okay, uh, ran over there. Yeah, ran over for the interview and and back. And uh, that night, uh, I had we had actually had a recreation camp meeting that that afternoon, and there were two people there who had been in the meeting this morning. No one had said anything to me, so I figured I, I, I didn't get the job. And then uh, the person who was supposed to call me couldn't get a hold of me, so my phone rang at 8 o'clock the next morning. And then I had a tough decision to make. Yeah. Mm. A really tough decision, because as I said, I, I, you know, I loved it where I was in Shelton. They, they were really good to me, uh, but I, you know, I didn't want to be a guidance counselor. I didn't want to be a principal. Um, so I just weighed all, all those factors, and uh, and I knew United Way, and I liked United Way, so uh, made a decision to switch. Uh, the timing worked out, and Shelton was really good about the whole thing. I finished the year coaching, and a couple of weeks later was the end of the marking period, so they brought somebody in who shadowed mm-hmm. me for those two weeks, and then he took over for me. I finished the year. Uh, I was actually coaching and doing United Way at the same time for about a month and a half. And about how old were you then? Oh God, how roughly. Old? I don't know. I was forty, forty-one. So that's a pretty that. big. Uh, that's a pretty big career change uh, at that age. Yeah, it was. It was. Were, were you fearful that you wouldn't be able to do the uh, the work at the United Way, or did you have a? 
Well, there's all, there's always doubt. There's always doubt. You know, the, when you go to work for a board of directors, that's quite quite a bit different. Um, but I made the decision, yeah, never looked back. It seemed to work out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, what were your like primary responsibilities uh, at the United Way? And I don't mean that like a resume type question but from my perspective it seems like you know the united way i mean basically you're trying to improve the community in a in, in about a million ways mm. you're helping uh, people who help who need help the most but to do that you got to get people to donate right and that's that's basically how it, is that an accurate summation yeah, it's or? pretty accurate you know back then uh, all united ways did two things okay every united way raised money in fact that's where the saying i gave it the office that was united way mm. okay that's where that that came from and the other thing was they gave the money out to agencies so so wherever you went around the country those were the two things that united ways did didn't necessarily do other things okay but things were changing when i got there uh, and our board of directors said geez jack you know we're, we're looking around we don't think we're going to be here if we don't make changes it was that serious mm. Well, they just, you know, they were ahead of their time. You know, they were looking around. I said, we have to appeal to young people. We have to get more involved in the community. Just raising the money and giving it out, that's still the primary function. But we've got to find other ways of doing things. So, uh, and one of the first things is, since I was a teacher, they thought, well, I could start a youth program. Not, not even knowing what that would be, but the, that's what they wanted. So we did. We started a youth program. That was the first thing we started. And now it's still going. I think it's the oldest one in the country for high school kids. Mm. Um, then we started the Volunteer Center, which is you know phenomenal. You know Pat and the work that she does. Mm. And that's a place where uh, corporations or businesses, if they're looking for ways to help in the community, they, they go to the they Volunteer Center right. and they can do it. Yeah, the United Way, just as a, as a reporter, uh, compared, I mean, I worked in New York and I worked in other parts of Connecticut, and the Valley United Way was, at least in, from my perspective, compared to others, not mm. to say there's one better than the other but the united way in the valley is a real living and breathing thing i mean mm. it's in and it's it's involved in everything it really has uh, well that, like that, that was the change that i think our board wanted and you know first of all everyone on our staff lived there so mm. it wasn't you know a foreign job they lived there mm. so it was important for them to make a difference in their community and i i think we did you know, one of the best things we ever did was we started the Valley Council for Health and Human Services. Mm. And it's just phenomenal. You can't find another area of the state or maybe even the country where the nonprofit community works together as well as it does here. And really, and that's because we got them together. And, you know, when we originally started, we thought we'd get together three or four times a year. Mm -hmm. They've been meeting every month for 22 years now. And things get done because of that. Mm-hmm. It's not always the Valley Council that does it, but it happens because those people know each other. They're on a first-name basis. They work together. And um, these are all, in the Valley Council of Health and Human Services, this is like a, a close network of... Uh, all the of, nonprofits. Of all nonprofits, okay. Yeah. Well, it's done great things. That's, uh, you know, when you ride up and down Route 8 and you see those signs, uh, All-American Valley, well, that came out of the planning process that we started with the council that created the Healthy Valley Project, and you alluded to Electronic Valley. Electronic Valley was just one of 27 projects Hmm. that came out of that, uh, Hmm. including uh, a health survey that eventually led to the the Griffin Breast Cancer Center. I mean, there were were great projects Hmm. that came out of that that really made a difference 
And basically, with, with the Griffin uh, uh, Breast Cancer Center, this is where that group started doing doing work that eventually revealed breast cancer rates were right. higher they, in the valley for some reason. Mm. Well, they found just, it wasn't the, the the rate was higher, but the sorry. death rate was higher. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, which was an indication that women weren't not getting tested soon enough. By the time they got the test, it was too late. So they they came up with the idea. Well, start the center and do the screenings earlier, et cetera, mm. making a difference. Uh, so it, there were a lot of good projects that came out of that. Um, That's incredible. And then you know you had just mentioned that you know the All American Valley. I mean, you know I'm 42 and only lived in the valley for about 10 years, but yet I didn't realize that was you know I mean you you, you that's like the marketing, or the slogan for. Uh, the valley and there right. came out of that that group. That's yeah, I, I don't think we ever took enough advantage of that as we should have um, because that was incredible. You know, I, I always tell the story when I got my job at United Way, I'd go to all our statewide meetings with all the execs. And back then there were 27 United Ways in Connecticut. Wow. And how I, many, I could, about how many are there now? 15. Okay. Mm. And I, I could sense that the, the attitude about the valley wasn't the, wasn't the greatest. So I took the leaving every single meeting and saying, well, I would have to get back to paradise. <laughs> okay. I literally started to brainwash people on that. And then when we got the All-America City Award, I just left the meeting. I said, well, I told you. So now you've got proof from somebody else, <laughs> not just from me. Uh, and I, you know, I'm a firm believer if the people who live and work in a community don't have pride in it, don't expect anyone else to. <laughs> so that, that drove a lot of the things that we did. Is that still a challenge in the Valley? Because I know when we launched, it was kind of like I'd talk to other newspaper people and be like, oh, you're going to the Valley. Everybody had this hoity-toity way of looking down uh, at the Valley, which I, I just wasn't – I didn't realize that was a thing. Is, it, is it, that still well, – I think, uh, you know, among some people, but if you let it be, then it will always mm. be. Uh, look, there was nothing wrong with the Valley, even when it was uh, a mill area, you know. The papers love to write the stories about the the valley as this old mill town. You know? Yeah, and the it's, grimy. It's not true. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, you know. It, it's a cliche at this yeah. point. Right. Like, and it hasn't been that way for years. And even when it was, there was nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Those people who worked in those factories had great moral values. They were hard workers. There was nothing wrong with that. Um, times have changed. You know that those industries are, are gone. But uh, you know the valley's reinvented itself so many times. And every time it, it's going to reinvent itself, it's going to be something better. As you know, look around now. It's, it's incredible what's going on here. Mm. What are some things that you look at that, that you can point to to say, like, wow, look at that? That's well, let's just take a look at what's going on in Shelton. You can take a look at any, any place you want. I mean, the, mm. the, the clean development that's taking place there is unbelievable. Um, you know, so they're the shining example. Oxford's going through that right now. Even a place like Derby, you know, I, I'm very proud of what we did with the Greenway. Mm. Okay, uh, we were the first. Mm. Okay, and now we're working on extending that all the way to Naugatuck. Uh, and that Greenway work that you did, I, I mean, I completely forgot about that. Was that outside of the United Way, or was that just something that you did, uh, you teamed with the, the city to do? Or Well, there were a couple of efforts. I, I got involved uh, because of Healthy Valley, okay? There was a group um, in Kent, Connecticut, that had planned for a greenway to go from Long Island Sound up to Massachusetts on the Housatonic River. And myself and a couple of other people thought that maybe we had an idea for it, too. There was a group in downtown Derby, the old Birmingham business group, uh, Paul Lane, who was involved. He actually gave that the first strip of land 
in Oxford came from the Lane family, mm-hmm. okay? But we invited them in. Uh, Paul Talmadge and myself said, hey, uh, you know, we, we think the Greenway's already here, but you have to consider the knock to be part of it. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, look, the flood control walls, they're already there. They're, they're already there. We, mm-hmm. Our Greenway is already there. And they looked at it and they said, well, yeah, they, that, that makes sense, but uh, we don't know who owns it. And So they got a grant and they did a study and they found out that the... Uh, the city owned it, okay? But the Army Corps of Engineers determined what you could and couldn't do, and what the city wanted to do was an acceptable uh, use as long as you didn't put any trees into the mm-hmm. wall or anything. Um, Did it take a long time just to get the United, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers to sign off on that, or was that was No, that it wasn't easy? that long. Okay. Uh, and then the city had to raise the, the money, which they did. Uh, Mark Garfalo was the mayor. Rick Dunn wrote the original grant. Um and they got the money. It took a lot longer to build it because, you, you know, in Derby, uh, you had three major issues uh, with the railroad. Mm. You had to find three different ways to avoid the railroad. Uh, and I don't think there's a fourth way, but basically in Derby, you had one place you built a wall to go side by side. Second place, you built a tunnel to go under it. And the third place, you built a bridge to go over the top of it. Now, there might be a fourth way, but I'm not aware of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay? So it took took a while to get it built but you know from the moment it opened you know it, i think it was a probably, natural yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i know cool. and sony has opened their section and actually shelton opened their section mm-hmm. before derby did and people don't give it as much credit but that was the first section mm-hmm. it's not part of the Nautic, but it, you know to me it's part of the Nautic because we're going to connect uh you know, the bridge work that's going to go on uh, on the Derby Shelton Bridge is going to make that access uh, a lot more efficient than it is now. Yeah, yeah, and that's what they're talking about, redoing that, the bridge that connects the two cities because right. uh, it's it's old and, and, and needs to be updated, and that plays into the Route 34 expansion, which is currently uh, well, that's underway. <laughs> yeah, 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 just... just so, yeah, it's going to happen, I'm telling you. So, yeah. I mean, there's a, a lot of good stuff going on in every valley town. Every Valley Town. So, but we have to tell that story. How many people use the uh, the Greenway and Derby on a daily basis? I know you have some like estimates. Well, yeah, no, they're pretty good stats, and we're doing more right now. But uh, you know, they they put out these boxes that measured it, uh, and for over a course of three or four months, it averaged out to be about eleven hundred users a day. Hmm. Okay, when they extrapolated out all the data, they said that would be over three hundred twenty thousand, you know, per year. Hmm. Um, those are pretty high numbers. Yeah, but, I mean, it's probably you, the number one recreational activity in the valley. Were you surprised? Smallest city. No, no, I, I wasn't would, because yeah. I, I used to count when I was jogging. Mm. I'd count, and I counted as many as 300 people jogging the, back and forth in one day. So I knew uh-huh. it could be pretty high. I mean, you go out there any time of the day. Yeah, you're, you're always weather, running into There's this, someone yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's someone there. The city does a great job. Of maintaining Anthony DeFalle and his crew there, you know, when it snows, I, I joke, uh, but it, maybe it's not somewhere to joke. I think the the Greenway is clear before the streets are, <laughs> so you can be out there. Uh, they do a great job, but you know, and that promotes health. Yeah, mm. you know, Griffin's doing some work on, on that now, but uh, and there's an economic impact study that's going on. You know, that made a, a major difference in the health of a lot of people in the valley. 
Yeah, and, and it seems like every, you know, you see all these stories about, like, whether, you know, this isn't healthy for you, this is. But, like, one of the most consistent things is, like, just not being sedentary all the right. time. Just just going for a walk every day could, you know, is, is good for your for life expectancy. It's it, There's a correlation, at least. There. Yeah, and we, ha- you know, we'll have some data coming out on that very soon. Um, the impact study is just about done. Actually, they're, they're trying to down, tone it down a little bit because... The actual numbers that they have would blow you away, and they they don't want to make it look like it's a cheerleading thing. So they're actually mm. trying to make the numbers softer. And who's doing that? What is what is that a part of? Well, that, that's the Naugatuck River Greenway Committee. Okay. Uh, that I'm involved with uh, got the money to do the study. The the COG actually did the study with the University of Connecticut. So it's it's all done. They're just working on you know the final format, but that should be out. January or February, so look for the results of that. But uh, the early count hmm. was pretty impressive. Hmm. You know, and one thing I wanted to ask you about before we we end is, uh, you know, what now you're retired, and I'm using air quotes, right? You're retired from uh, the Valley United way. Well, for the, what was it like at the the most recent uh, Commodore Hull race? Because I know you you play a big part, and that's close to your heart, I assume. Oh yeah, uh, as well. Uh, was this this was your last one as as uh, connected to the, the or had you retired at that point? Were you already? Uh... Uh, actually, I retired the day before the race. Okay, I, my last day was the twenty third, and the race was the twenty fourth. And Ethan could tell you about the race. Uh, you know, the, the race is a fantastic thing for communities, and you know it's ironic that uh, Glenn Gatano had the idea for it, and then uh, some other people, myself and uh, Pam Petro, Mark Anthony Izzo, John Sackyo, who the Sertanitskis, it's a small group of people. We decided to, to go ahead with it, to honor Commodore Hall, and to get people to come back into the, the downtowns of Derby and Shelton to see what was going on. We didn't start it as a fundraiser, hmm. okay? We were very emphatic about it. You know, we're not doing this as a fundraiser. If we make money, we decided we'd give it to the Boys and Girls Club because they were so needy. But that was never our motivation. Okay, our motivation was to create a community event that would attract people back to the downtown so they could see what was going on and to honor Commodore Hall. And I, I, I think we did that uh, even more successfully than we thought. Mm. You know, the first year we said if we get 200 people, that would be a miracle. Mm. And we had over 300 the first year. And we grew it gradually and we capped it at 750. Wow. I know we could have a lot more people, but 750 is what we could reasonably do with the, the small committee that we had uh, and still make it a, a great event for the people there. And, you know, we have a great relationship with our runners. We saw it every year, mm. you know, weeks yeah, before the race. Yeah, it takes care of itself. It seems mm. to be something yeah. that just takes care of itself. It's become ingrained in the in the Valley. But this is also the last year for our committee. Okay. Um, you know, some of the people didn't want to continue. Not, not because they, you know, there's mm. anything against the race. They just said, you know, they'd done it for 15 Six, years yeah. and given That's up their enough. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They'd like to do some other things with their families and whatnot. Uh, so it will continue, but the Boys and Girls Club will take over running it. Uh, 
and I'm sure it'll be every bit as good next year as it's been for 15 years. But uh, are you still going to be involved in uh, in any way, or have you no, stepped back to you? No, we uh, this you year could run it, it now finally, right? I, I ran a couple of times. Actually, okay. I, I ran the very first year, which was a huge mistake. You know, <laughs> no, you know, I, I was a, I was a halfway decent runner, but uh, you know, I had to get there for six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first yeah, year, we were still doing data entry. You know, because mm-hmm. the race wasn't a sellout then. So I, I I sat at a desk from six o'clock till five minutes to eight. Hmm. Got up from the desk to go out and run. Uh, oh, that's... I, I was stiff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I ran one other year. I had stents put in my heart. So that year, I decided I wanted to run on Thanksgiving too. So that year, I, after I ran, you had the stents put in your heart, after you're saying, just to, to just yeah, to, I'd, I'd use that as yeah. an excuse to take the year off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was a strain. Yeah. So what are you doing now, Jack? We talked briefly about the WPCA. What are your plans? I know we had asked you this like over the summer when you were on this podcast for another reason, but are you going to Florida anytime soon? Are you riding off into the no, sunset? No, or no, no, no. Ireland, I, yeah, right? like I've lived in the same house my entire life. I'm <laughs> I'm not moving now. I'm too stubborn. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go back to Ireland next year. Uh, you know, I, I have Irish citizenship. And you have extensive relatives over there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, the Irish citizenship, I only did for sentimental value. I mean, it, it has practical value, but not... Not for me, you know, but, you know, I'm involved. I said uh, I've got Derby Neck Library, I've got WPCA, I've got the the, the Greenway. Those those are taking up a lot of time already. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, I'm back at the gym, which I haven't done in a, in a while. So, Ethan, maybe I'll run against you next year. Uh, <laughs> That's what I want. I want to see you running circles around Ethan, uh, like running know, backwards and taunting sure. him. I wasn't, sure. I wasn't too bad when I was running. <laughs> I could beat the mayor. Really? Oh. oh, yeah. I could beat the mayor. The mayor never beat me when I ran in that race or any other. Uh, he's a much better athlete than I am, but I was a better runner. Of course, he's a bigger guy, so you know he's yeah, got a lot yeah. more to haul around the course than I do. So, uh, so you know, hopefully, I'll get back to that. I just came from Planet Fitness, uh, you know, trying to get back into shape. But uh, yeah, the, the big difference is now I do things at my own pace, mm. on my own schedule, pretty much. Pretty much, and you're still you're you're getting involved. You said the WPCA, and then you were a part of. I know you were at the Derby uh, downtown now. I was part meetings. of meetings. Yeah. Uh, is there anything particularly in, in Derby that you look to sort of? Uh, you want to see not necessarily change, but that you're sinking your your teeth into. I mean, other than the WPCA, oh, it, it, the downtown is a big part of it, and the old Halo District is that's got to be resolved. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, these things can't drag on for twenty years. So. And that's a designation for people who might be unfamiliar. That's a designation the city did at one point of uh, Hawkins, right. Hanson, and Lower Olivia. Right. They had a preferred developer there, too, and nothing ever came It just never went anywhere. Was... But, you know, it's unfortunate for people who own property in that area because that's a shadow hanging over you. You want to do something with your property, and... Mm. There's know, uncertainty it's, with... Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's... got to be resolved. Uh, you know, towns go through cycles, okay? Derby uh, has been through many of them. You know, right now, hopefully, it's the beginning of a, of a nice comeback. I think the Greenway is a good sign of that, building the school. You know, I'm very proud of what we did with Whittick Park. Mm, yeah, you know, that uh, is a gem. Mm. It is. And a lot of people you know, were very critical and didn't want that to happen and were afraid of all the horrible things that would happen. Well, you know, it turned it into a great resource for the community, especially, I think, for the neighbors in that area. It's, it was done, and it was done right. Uh, but we, you know, got to get downtown done. And WPCA has to get resolved. That's Those a big part things, of, a, yeah. of downtown. Uh, you know, it's a great opportunity. Derby has a, a train station. You know, it's got 
Traffic can be a good thing or a bad thing. Mm. I like Mark Loretti says, you know, most towns would die to have that problem. Yeah, it's a yeah, good thing to have. Yeah, you have yeah. to figure out how to deal with it. But it means people are coming through your town. People are there. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there, there's a lot of good stuff. And I think Anita or her team are working hard at it. Uh, but it, economic development, you know, to me, cities don't do economic development. Developers do it. Mm. It's the job of the city to make it possible for developers to come in. You know, look at Shelton. Uh, you know, Shelton doesn't give tax breaks. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, and they've been so successful at it. Now they're they're able to go back and do the things that they're doing on Canal Street. You know, when they have to tear down a chromium mm. product, they can do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and they have you know they have you know companies leave Shelton. They say, well, well. Hopefully Somebody another company, will, they don't go there hat in hand and beg them, right. know, what can we do to get you to stay, you know? I mean, I, I'd hate to think of where we would have been at United Way if uh, Shelton hadn't boomed. Mm. But Oxford's getting ready. Mm. Oxford's getting mm. ready. Mm. I'm just looking over your shoulder, Ethan. I see you have uh, something that I was really proud of. You got the Valley History Tour there. Uh, that was another Healthy Valley oh, project. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is like, yeah, this is just... Uh, it's like a pamphlet uh, you got, yeah, that was put out of uh, a lot of like the different historical things. Yeah, it's, in uh, it's a it's tour you could take good in, a, desk in a day. For a reporter. Uh, but that was another effort to, to show people, hey, we've got a lot here. Yeah, I, yeah. I, Bill Puanda was responsible for we have it all in the valley, but yeah, we yeah, do. Yeah. You just have to look around. As I say, if people who live and work in a community don't have pride in the community, don't expect anyone else to. And it's it's very uh, you know all these community centers are, are dense you know they're they're sort of they're closer together than like you know where I grew up for instance you know more suburban um, so like you could you know you could you could walk you know this right. tour basically uh, much less drive. Yeah, there's a lot to see and do here. Uh, sometimes we just have to be reminded that you know people always think they have to go someplace else to see this or that. And there's a lot of history here, like yeah. And, you know, just the central location, you're within an hour and a half, two-hour ride of just about any activity known to mankind. Mm -hmm. I mean, could you have a better location, you know? And I, I know we have winters, but, you know, for some people, that's an attraction. You know, we have four seasons. Uh, this, this is a great place to live. It really is. Yeah, I like, I, 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 like, I have uncles and aunts and stuff that, like, have lived here their entire lives then retire and go to florida and like my mom is like why would you go to florida yeah. why would you want to live in florida like year round but yeah. like I, got, I agree but i don't know <laughs> they got once, alligators once we get like three feet of snow i'll probably be yeah, yeah. yeah snow's right. the only bad part <laughs> so it's been you know there's a whole bunch of other things i wanted to talk about but uh at the hour mark we should probably uh wrap it up partly because now i have to drive uh, get my kids <laughs> from uh from school but jack i just wanted to thank you for uh, everything you've done uh, to the valley. Oh, that's that's yeah. another involvement I forgot. I'm. We on should the mention board. that. Yeah, you're, oh, you're, yeah. you're you're our boss, yeah. basically, or one of them. <laughs> well, I don't know if we'd say that, but I am on the on the board of directors. On, on the board the, of directors for the the parent organization, yeah. the, the online journalism project. Yeah, which is the, unbelievable what what you guys have done. I mean, this is the model. We just have to figure out how we get get it to be paid for. Mm. That's true. And you know, that was the other thing, the whole other subject area I wanted to ask you about was like how funding has changed, how it became more challenging uh, at the Valley United Way, because I'm not sure if people, the average person uh, realizes that about how I, I assume, and maybe we'll just go into it. Do you want to talk about it for sure. a sec? Or, sure, sure. 
of how I mean I'm I'm assuming you know in newspapers we had uh, consolidation and uh, you know mom and pops uh, independent newspapers were purchased by large corporations. Which could be good for you know a writer. I ended up making a little more money when uh, you know Johnny Gannett came and bought my right. uh, my paper in, in in New York. But uh, you know if you're trying to raise money, when that happens with advertisers that the newspapers rely on, when they're corporatized, it's harder and harder to to raise money in in any uh, thing. And uh, you know that's been our challenge at the at the Valley Independent Sentinel is just the dollars and the and the local shops that were there uh, are no longer there. Mm. Uh, and then you know if, if we can work 16 hours to get a 99 dollar ad what does that really uh, translate right. into but i was wondering if you so had it's that basically happen. the same uh, absolutely yeah. uh you know years ago when you had the uh, you know the ferals the american brass key right sponge rubber i mean you know it was built into the the fabric mm. you know you know, give it the office. Well, you know, everybody had an office. Everybody went to work locally. Um, so we were there. That's changed. You know, the the people who run some of these companies, they're not here. You know, they, they come in in the morning. They go home at the end of the day. They don't mm-hmm. see that. Um, and, yeah, we have a lot of great companies here mm. who do see it and are involved. But others that don't also uh, – there's more pressure on corporations. You know, it used to be you got evaluated uh, at the end of the year. Now it's every quarter. Mm. If you don't have the results, you're gone. So, uh, you know, there's more pressure on them to spend just on the business, not necessarily on, on the community. So it, it takes more of an effort to convince them that, you know, it's still important for the people to work for them. So, and corporate philanthropy is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some corporate philanthropy now is really advertising mm. you know I, I always thought philanthropy was you gave your money away with no strings attached to do something good in the community well there's still a lot of that but uh, some of it's turned into uh, well if you buy this we will donate that mm. you know is, is that philanthropy or is that marketing mm. Mark, yeah. yeah okay that's, that's, that's an issue um so it's made it more of a challenge. Also, younger people, uh, you know, I, I I still like the idea. I just send my money to you in highway, yeah. and they've got a committee that examines the community and does the issue. So I, I only have to send the one yeah, check. Yeah. Well, that's changing, too. Uh, millennials in particular don't necessarily buy into that. So, you know, you have to find other ways to reach them. Um, and then, you know, I think we talked about this once before on this podcast, but the rise of the, like, the GoFundMes. Where, where basically anybody can start their own. And they do. Uh, fund, yeah. And which raises, which is tough for Ethan and I, because sometimes we'll get people want to, they might be having a health problem. They want yeah. us to post their, their yeah. GoFundMe, but it's so... I don't, you know, yeah. I mean, you, you trust that the person is telling the truth, but it's really hard. And, and to, when you post one, where's the, what's where, the criteria? Where you cut it off? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where that's, as a United Way, you knew there it was, that was yeah, the clearinghouse, it was going mm-hmm. there. And now there's just so much competition yeah. for the for those dollars. Uh, I can't, that had to be. It, it makes it tougher. You know, it's funny though. Uh, we have a couple of agencies, that, you know, who don't get much money, okay, in the, in the big scheme of things. And yet they still want to be part of United Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason they want to be part of United Way because they can go to their, you know, their clientele and say, "Hey, United Way approved us, so you know we're legitimate." Mm. Okay, um, mm. so I think there's still value in that, um, 
And again, with the United Way, it's a partnership. It's not a one-way street. It's not that we just give you money. It's a partnership. We work together in the community. Uh, I think that's really what's quite different than what, when I started. You know, um, we do things together with, with agencies. Um, yeah, it's, you're intertwined essentially. It's hard mm-hmm. to tell. I know when I when I've covered some of these events, you don't. It's hard to tell who's with what, and it's always the, the hardest part of writing any article on some of the events in the valley in the nonprofit sector is is getting the who who is who right. correct because mm. there's no like right. nobody nobody stands out there with a flag saying I'm from this organization. Well, a, a, a good seamless. example of that is and the leadership program. A lot of the time, do. it's a collaborative okay. effort. Yeah. yeah, the leadership program uh, is the United Way the Valley Council, and the Chamber of Commerce all working together to, to get the next group mm-hmm. of, of volunteer leaders. And uh, But no one cares who gets credit. You know, mm-hmm. just let's get it done. If this is a benefit of the community, let's get it done. You can worry about the credit after it's done. Get it done. So, But fundraising is more of a challenge. It's different. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. totally different. So... All right, so we all right, we stuck that in at the, at the <laughs> end, too. I was, and that might, maybe that's just a, a personal thing because I'm, you know, I've seen that to a small extent. At, I mean, I thought when we launched the Valley Indy in 2009, first of all, I thought, all right, after two years, we'll just, you Open know, smoke. We'll, we won't be around. Mm-hmm. Or people would be throwing their advertising uh, dollars <laughs> at us and we'd be fine. I'm like, we have the, it, but it doesn't, that's not the way no. it works at, at all. So, but they don't want to lose it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just like it, advertising, just, there's the advertising has transformed so well, radically in the past the, yeah. you know 20 years yeah, yeah you have uh, people say like well i can advertise with you and you can reach 3000 you know, people Google, 3000 people yeah, on yeah, facebook yeah. you know or i can just buy an ad with facebook direct yeah. and, and facebook tells me i'm reaching 10000 so it's a whole facebook other facebook and google are pretty much yeah they're great i mean like obliterated yeah. advertising right as right a, yeah. As a, yeah that that old one uh but anyway but how do you get your share of that yeah you know, we had the me. meeting the other day. I was talking to Paul about, you know, I said, well, maybe some of the, the radio sessions like this one should be done as a, a live Facebook mm. to get more attention to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that doesn't solve the, the revenue stream, but it, it could be yeah. a help in that. So yeah. you, you always have to find these new ways of, of doing things and attracting people. But at the end of the day... You know, it costs money to do things. Is it, you know, when I first started, you know, people still would say to me, "Well, what, what do you do for a living?" Yeah, because <laughs> you know, you work for a nonprofit, get. right? You know, yeah. Well, actually, like my the first job I ever had. My uh, mother still asks me that. Quick <laughs> anecdote: I made five hundred dollars a week before taxes, so yeah. not not a lot after. And I was covering like the first beat I had was at a courthouse in Enfield, and one of the marshals, were, like matter of factly, one day was like, "What do you make here? Like seventy grand?" Like, it was just, I almost punched him. And, like, there's this like a misconception I think of like I don't know, like the media is like saying it's like we're not some rich corporate elite. Sadly, but. Yeah. one day, yeah, one, <laughs> one day when you build your empire, right? Yeah, yeah, like Chuck Scarborough, yeah, yeah. but. Chuck Scarborough. Awful, like, I don't know. So, a, so a TV that person has been around past. Yeah, yeah, wow. He's still around, yeah. Jim Jensen. Did you watch Jim? You, anyway. I did. <laughs> he was great. All right. So thank you again for indulging us, Jack, and for taking the time to, to come down here and uh, chat with us. And we will be putting this on, although it's not Facebook Live, we will be putting it on uh, on Facebook. Uh, I'll look well. for it, and then I'll, so. I'll shudder with the uh, results. Of... Nah, this was, this was good. This was uh, good. We were relaxed, you know, right? Oh yeah, it was a lot, a lot of fun. It went by very quickly. Jeez. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's what I'm. I'm always surprised how 
quickly the time passes. So I'm Eugene Driscoll uh, for Ethan Fry and Mr. Jack Walsh. We'll uh, hear you next time on Valley Naval Geese. Mm-hmm.